second degree manslaughter, third degree murder, and second degree murder. Those were the guilty convictions that were read by Judge Peter Cahill this last week in the trial of Derek Chauvin, crimes of which he had been accused in connection with the death of George Floyd in Minnesota. And as soon as the conviction statement was read, guilty, all kinds of people from all kinds of perspectives began to express their thoughts and their opinions. And so members of Floyd's family and activists, they, they celebrated this as a victory, a, a win for them. Others said that this conviction itself, it didn't go far enough or it didn't really create any lasting change, that there are still systemic issues that need to be addressed. Still others, they called into question the, the character of the deceased man, George Floyd. And I know that there's all kinds of issues that are bound up in this specific event in our nation's history, this specific trial. There's all kinds of things. I'm not, I'm not bringing this up this morning to elicit any kind of debate among us today or to be political in any way. Not at all. And I certainly understand that there is deep tragedy anytime someone loses their life. Deep tragedy, deep pain and grief that certainly is felt by the Floyd family. This deep tragedy that comes, especially if someone loses their life at the hands of another human being, even if that's unintentional or not. So I'm not trying to elicit any debates, but something did strike me as I was reading some of the news articles that came out regarding that conviction. And what struck me was that the, the family and some activists, they were waiting on, on pins and needles. They were ready to hear what was that conviction going to be. And as soon as they heard it, guilty, they celebrated. There was shouting and there was laughter and there was crying and there was hugging of one another. They were proclaiming it a, a victory. One man said this. He said, it's unbelievable I prayed for this. It's, it's an unbelievable feeling for us to win one. We've been losing so many. And the, and the question that was in my mind as I heard some of those things was whether or not it would still feel like a win down the road. And would it still feel like a win? Would it still be something to celebrate a month from now? or a year from now, or, or five years from now. And again, I'm, I'm not trying to minimize anything with that trial. I'm not trying to, to minimize any of the, the feelings and the emotions that are, that are bound up in everything that, that's connected to that case and that tragic historic event in the history of our nation. But I really want to ask this question about Will the celebration last? I really want to ask that question about us. About our ministry and in our setting and in our context. You see, we've been called 
for a purpose. We have been saved to serve. There is a mission that Christ has given to us as his people. We've been called to make a change. When you think about the change, did, did the conviction make any change? Maybe it brought, you know, maybe it brought guilt on the heart of Derek Chauvin himself. I don't know if he felt that before. Maybe he does feel it now, but, but what then? And certainly that conviction, right, it, it can't bring George Floyd back to life. So as we think about our ministry and, and what we're going to do and what we're going to accomplish and the purposes that we have and what we're going to pursue and, and the goals that we're going to make and what we are going to celebrate, what we are going to consider a win for us as a church, the change that we're going to make in the world because God has called us to change the world, what are we going to pursue? What will we decide is going to be a win for us? And what will give us a celebration that will last? Paul reminds us of the role that we have, the role that he really had, which now we have as the church. He said, God has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The role that God has given to us, the, the mission and the ministry that he has assigned to us, it comes with true competence, true courage, true hope, true glory, and it creates a celebration that will last. But it's really, really important that we don't look for that in the wrong place. Sometimes you and I look to the law to give us that win, to give us that celebration. And by the law, I don't mean the laws of our land and our country or our court system. I mean the law of God. That law of God that is not a bad place to look if you're looking for glory. The, the law of God, it is certainly good and it is glorious. There is incredible glory in God's law because it comes with this di divine, superior justice. But it's a glory that in the end only brings death and condemnation. That's what Paul was talking about in verse 7 when he said, the ministry that brought death which was engraved in letters on stone. You know, if we come face to face with the requirements of God's holy, perfect, righteous law, no matter what lawyer that we could hire to defend us and plead our case, the verdict would always come back the same. Guilty. Condemned. And that verdict would not just be declared by an honorable judge, but the eternally holy God of the universe. 
And if our eyes darted around the courtroom and we were trying to look for some kind of grace, some kind of compassion, some kind of mercy, someone who could, who could help us, we wouldn't find it. Not if all we had was God's law. Now don't get me wrong, God's law is good and it is glorious. Paul says it came with glory. He's talking about God's law. He says it came with glory so that Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory. So Paul gives this proof of the glory that the law has. Going back to the history of God's people, and he said when God delivered his divine moral standard, his standard of perfection and holiness, when he delivered that through his servant Moses, there was visible glory. Moses' face as he came down from Mount Sinai, being with God in the presence of God, his face radiated and reflected the glory of the one in whose presence he had been. And the people, they couldn't even look at it. They had to shield their eyes from it because it was so glorious. But you do notice what Paul then said about it? He said it was transitory. He said that glory, it started to fade away. It didn't last. And, and that's why Moses would then put this veil over his face so that the, the people wouldn't see this glory fade away. It wasn't a glory that lasted. A sign and a symbol to God's people that this wasn't the final word from God. God's law is good. It is glorious. It has the proper place in our hearts and in our ministry. But we need to make sure that we keep it in the proper place. And sometimes we don't. Sometimes we show by our actions that we actually have elevated God's law and put it in a place that it shouldn't be. As we seek out change in our lives, as we seek out change in the world, sometimes we look to God's law for that change. And so we think that the mission of the church is to make people more moral. And so we come to church hoping that the church is going to fix us, right? Or it's going to fix those people out there. And so we push for the church to, to then push for moral legislation so we can mandate morality in our world. Our parents, right? You bring your kids to church because, because you want them to know right from wrong, right? You want them to know how to live their life and to treat people well, and with kindness and compassion, those are all really, really good things. But can I tell you a little secret? The church's job isn't to teach your kids right from wrong. At least not our number one job. Not our primary job, because if the church is only and primarily about right and wrong, it's only about yes and no, what can I do, what can't I do? If we're just here to talk about the law, then that law is always going to kill and condemn you. 
And that's not going to be much worth celebrating. So the law is good and glorious and it has a proper place, but it is not our primary focus because there's something so much more glorious. And Paul put it this way. He said, what was glorious, the law, he says it has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. There is something that is so much better, so much greater, so much more glorious than God's law that it makes that law, which was glorious, look as if it has absolutely no glory. There's something that changes and transforms hearts in a much greater way, a miraculous way. Paul said the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. The law condemns, it convicts, and it kills. It kills our sinful nature. It kills our selfishness and our pride and our arrogance. The Spirit gives life. The ministry of the Spirit gives life. It brings a righteousness, a holiness, and a glory that isn't transitory, doesn't fade away, it isn't momentary, it's a glory of God that lasts and endures. So what is this? What is this ministry of the Spirit? I want you to look at verse 14. Paul said this about that veil that obscures hearts and minds so that they can't see the full glory of Christ. And he says, only in Christ is it taken away. That spiritual veil is gone when you know Christ. When you know what Jesus has done, that good news of His life, death, and resurrection, we call that the Gospel. The church cannot be about morality and justice alone because it needs to be about the Gospel. It needs to be about forgiveness, about God's true glory shown in Christ Jesus. And here's why that's so glorious. Would any one of you willingly take Derek Chauvin's place right now? Would you willingly sit in his jail cell 23 hours a day in that cell in seclusion and isolation with a concrete bed and a thin mattress on top and a toilet and a sink. 23 hours a day of isolation and exclusion that you might actually be thankful for because you're fearful of the threats that have been made against you from the wider prisoner population. Awaiting your sentencing, would you take his place? Do you think that we could find anyone in America, 331 million people, who would willingly take his place? Jesus did. And Jesus took George Floyd's place. And Jesus took your place and my place when he went to the cross. 
And there he suffered the isolation and exclusion, not, not in a jail cell, but the isolation and seclusion that comes when you are suffering hell itself, the isolation and seclusion from the God of all goodness. That isolation and seclusion that Jesus took for us. A separation from God himself. And on the cross, the letter of the law was carried out to its fullest extent. The complete sentence of judgment passed on Jesus himself. Jesus was willingly there as the letter killed and the letter condemned. And Jesus willingly assumed our conviction and our condemnation. I bet there are a lot of prayers that all kinds of people were praying leading up to this really high-profile trial that has taken place over the last several weeks. But do you know what Jesus prayed before his crucifixion? You heard it earlier this morning, but it's in John chapter 17. And Jesus prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. And God answered that prayer with the cross. And Jesus knew as he prayed that prayer, he knew what he was asking when he asked God to glorify the Son. He knew that he was asking to take our first degree convictions upon himself. And so Jesus took your first degree conviction of hatred. For every single time you've denigrated another human being for any reason. He took your first degree conviction of murder because Jesus tells us that when there's hatred in our heart, it's, it's like murder. Your, your first degree conviction of abuse shown to your family when you haven't been there, you haven't showed up, you, you've left all of the hard parenting and all of the hard disciplining to your spouse. Or for the weak and the pathetic way that you've led your children and your family to see Jesus. And Jesus took that conviction too. Jesus took the first degree conviction of your pride and your arrogance that pushed God out of your heart. Didn't want to hear what he had to say about your life. He took that. And every single first degree conviction that God's law would place on your hearts, it was placed instead on Jesus on the cross. As he suffered and died for you so that now there would be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the good news. That's the good news of the gospel. That is the glory that God has shown us. Paul said that they were ministers of a new covenant, a new promise from God. The promise that all of our sins, all of our guilt, all of our condemnation had been put on Christ and it was gone, removed forever. You are free. That's the promise and the proclamation that the gospel brings. A promise and proclamation of peace for you and your lives that declares that our sin, is guilt is gone, our sin and guilt is gone, that we witnessed also the glory of Jesus as he rose from the dead and assured us that we too will rise with him.
And we can celebrate that as a win. We can celebrate that gospel message. Jesus can bring us from death to life. He can change us. He can transform our lives. He's doing that right now, even today, as he comes through his word and he reminds you of this glorious truth that you are forgiven. That you are free. And this good news, this truly gives us a celebration that lasts. It grants hope and confidence and boldness and competence in our ministry. And it really allows us to celebrate the right wins. So that in in your marriage, you, you celebrate when you as a spouse, you together point one another to Jesus Christ instead of pointing out all those little faults that you can find with each other that you see more clearly than anybody else. It helps you to celebrate the win with your family when you can share with your children not just right and wrong, not just yes and no, but you can share with your children how much Christ loves them, that he was willing to go to the cross for them. He loves them dearly and they are God's own children. You can celebrate the win every single time that you get to share this gospel message with somebody that you know, whether it's a friend or a relative or your coworker or someone down the street or a stranger that you meet. That as you plant that gospel seed, you're showing them the true glory of God and you can celebrate that. As we're called for God's purposes, as we've been saved to serve, let's celebrate the right wins. And we're going to be able to do that not only in our personal lives, but then together as a church. Next month, we're going to have an opportunity to get together. We're, we're going to present some of our goals, some of our dreams, some of our view, vision for the future. And as we continue to talk about that, what are we going to make those goals? What will we celebrate? What's going to bring us true joy as a church? It's all going to be focused on this glorious gospel message of Jesus Christ. Now, as we study God's word together, as I, I preach and proclaim it, as you carry it forth into your life, We're going to focus on the gospel. It's going to be full of the gospel. We're not going to minimize God's law. We're not going to shove it aside. We're not going to not talk about it, but we are going to focus on the gospel, the true glory of God, which really has the opportunity to change and transform our lives. That's that's our mission statement, that we're changing lives with Jesus because the glory of Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross truly changes lives. Paul witnessed that in the Corinthians. Earlier he wrote, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry. Written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. That's what the gospel can do. It can change hearts and it's going to change your heart too. So whether you've been here for a week, whether you've been here for a month, whether you've been in the church for for 60 years or more, God's word can still change and transform your hearts with this glorious gospel message. The truth of your forgiveness in Jesus Christ, your Savior. As you contemplate the glory of God, 
It will change you. Your life will change, your heart will change, and you will have a celebration that truly lasts.